This episode of EdTech Hour is brought to you by the Educational Psychology and Technology Program at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. The Chicago School's mission is integrating the values of education, innovation, service, and community. The Chicago School provides students innovative and practitioner-based learning experiences in which they are able to positively impact others around the world and address issues faced by underserved populations. Through collaboration of university administration, faculty, and students, the EdTech Hour was created in order to pursue our vision of innovation and global outreach. This monthly podcast series will include thought leaders from around the world who will discuss relevant issues centered not only on technology, but also the impact of technology on humanity. Speakers will provide listeners with stories of how they have impacted learners, employees, and communities through their pursuit of understanding how individuals learn and use technology to improve performance. This show provides a global medium to share and promote various issues and developments in learning and how professionals are utilizing technology. By listening to this show, I hope that you are able to develop a unique perspective into how you can incorporate similar topics and trends into your own professional settings. I am your host, Kelly Torres, and I look forward to learning more about our topic with you throughout this episode. As a background, Dr. Helen Crompton is an Associate Professor of Instructional Technology at Old Dominion. She is a highly experienced researcher, educator, author, and presenter in the field of educational technology. She draws from over 25 years in education and a PhD in educational technology and mathematics education from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Dr. Crompton was officially recognized as one of nine mobile learning experts in the world by the United Nations. She has received numerous awards in the U.S. and her home country, England, for her work in technology integration, including the Shiva Award for the Outstanding Professor of Virginia, and she has been recognized by awards from two U.S. presidents for her service to the educational technology community. Dr. Crompton consults for two UN divisions, UNESCO and ITU, and she also works with the International Society for Technology and Education in designing courses and coaching teachers, administrators, and technology coaches. This podcast session is focused on how school practice has emerged from a nebulous blend of customs, rituals, traditions, and beliefs built over time. In this interview, Dr. Crompton will speak on the interconnected dynamic nature of learning and the art of teaching with technology, including pedagogy, andragogy, and hudagogy. Frameworks are presented that support educators and educational leaders that best integrate technology to extend and enhance learning. The title of this podcast is Pedagogy, Andragogy, and Hudagogy in Technology, a review of integration frameworks. Can you explain why you felt it is important to have hudagogy in the title, and how do you use this theory and practice in your own instructional approaches? Yes, the title focused very much on how we use technology, not on technology itself. Um, my main focus is on educational technology, but technology is only a tool, and it's how we use it. So it's important. Pedagogy, um, the Greek word there, to lead the child. How do we get children to learn? But very importantly, andragogy as well, the, the differentiation between um, child learners and adult learners and thinking about that. But finally, hutagogy, that was really important and I connect that so much with technology because technology provides students tools to be able to actually think for themselves. As Makichi said, um, when students come to university, they learn how to learn, but do they learn how to think? And hutagogy is what we are looking for. It's also known as self-determined learning, it's a student-centered instructional strategy that emphasizes the development of autonomy, capability, and capacity. So really we're looking for hutagogy to have students to be lifelong learners. So um, again, that's the focus of what I'm gonna be talking about, hopefully in the questions today, that technology is the tool, but yet we can use it for great learning strategies to really enhance and promote great learning. Thank you for providing that overview. Can you explain what led you to your current career in higher education? Yes, so um, it wasn't all anticipated that I'd go this way, <laughs> but after 16 years in the classroom, you see, during those years in the classroom, I worked with emotional and behavioral difficulties um, in the UK, in areas of Manchester. And these students really didn't care about learning. They didn't see the point of it. They saw the standards and thought, you know, who cares? Um, and technology started to develop. And it was kind of, oh, look, um, we're missing the motivation part. 
the motivation, the attitudes of importance. And we could kind of tie that in with technology by saying, mm, look at your interests here, look at your interests in you know, plants, look at your interests in cars. We can use that with technology to have you learn. It doesn't always have to be kind of something that's not connected to your world. So that went on and these technologies increased. I came over to the US, taught here in Chapel Hill. And then again, the technology, I was fascinated in knowing, okay, how does it help students learn? How does it help um, with motivation, interest, um, knowledge retention? And so I went on to do my PhD to learn about those things to really be able to study what works and what doesn't for teachers. Technology is so integrated in everything that we do in our personal and social lives and in our professional settings mm -hmm. and academically as well. Absolutely. So as an educator yourself, how have you grown and expanded your professional pursuits through advancement in technology? And what has been the most challenging and rewarding in your professional growth? So being in the field of technology, it does advance, it does progress, and it needs to do because you cannot stay static. Um, my first interest was on technology in general. And then suddenly the iPod Touch came out and I was thinking, oh, again, focused on how students learn. Students just don't just learn in front of a computer screen. Students learn on field trips and things that really contextualize the learning. And so iPod Touches came out and I thought, wow, this is a a great way to, great direction to go, and that actually led my dissertation going that way. But then it went into tablets, as we found out iPod touches were very small, and we wanted larger screens. So the tablets came out, and we really saw ways, again, to contextualize the learning, have students out in the field, and using the technology to take them further. But as I've gone on into learning with mobile devices, um, other things are coming out and striking my interest from augmented reality, virtual reality, where you can put those mobile devices in um, a cardboard machine, the Google <laughs> Cardboard, or in more high-end things, and you can learn so much more. But even now, I'm going towards um, artificial intelligence okay. and how you can use that. Um, and again, it all kind of ties to the same thing, but it, it doesn't just stay static. It's gone from mobile and it's gone okay, this way, augmented, virtual, AI, you know, lots of different ways that it, it doesn't stay static. Yeah, so now we're bringing learning into the classroom through these devices, through virtual field trips and things of that nature. So yes. it's really impacted the way we teach and learn, I think. That's it, and also even going out. Yes, yeah, so as we'll talk about with um, AR and VR. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, you can go out on field trips right. and have your mobile devices there taking you further in what you know. Most definitely. And, and why do you believe that technology is important in today's classroom? And how has technology evolved and changed your own instructional approaches? So um, it's basically focused on the instructional approaches. I understand and I've read a lot on the learning sciences of how students learn. And so I focused on the pedagogy and that changed greatly. All the things that we wanted to do, you can actually do now, many of those things. So. I wanted students to be active learners, to think. Um, and so there's many tools out there that you can use, um, even to the basic. I, I work with asynchronous learners and how to really connect with them using technology rather than just being a, a, a screen that, you know, A, B, well done, good job. Um, they could actually connect with me personally, asynchronously through video, through even little avatars to kind of talk through assignments and things like that. It's, it's really amazing. But one of the big things as well is it saved me so much time. And that might sound a selfish thing, but it actually is very much not. So I have a lot of my grading done by technology. Um, I have a lot of tools that as students walk into my face-to-face -face class, they scan a QR code, which indicates the hearing class, um, and then it, they answer questions on the reading. So I'm holding them accountable on what they've just read or from the past class, but also it helps me understand it, it's a method of assessment. But all these things are done by technology. I just do a little bit beforehand, mm -hmm. and that gathers my information, which means that I don't have to sit 
reading papers for ages. Instead, I can spend time with students mm -hmm. being one-to-one -one in cases and answering what they need. So I have a lot more time for learners through technology. Even to things like um, students quite often need somebody to kind of go through the paper and say, yeah, you know, even writing grammatics, you know, they want to know, okay, so does this sound correct? You know, have I done run-on sentences? How can I make this better? And there's tools like an SAS Writing Revisor that they can, it's actually a form of artificial intelligence where it's free on the web. They can put their essay in there or whatever their piece of writing that they have and the computer in less than a second will tell them all that. They click, okay, have I got any run-on sentences? And it shows them. And so rather than just, like I said, taking all my time doing this, they can have it already done for them. And again, it's very empowering for the student. And also, kind of, it, it saves face that they don't have to feel embarrassed. They're being tutored by this program, and then they can hand in a great product at the end. So it helps to support their learning as well, as well as provide you additional time to create a community of learners in your class and create that instructor presence, which I think is so important, particularly in online settings. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So what do you think is the go-to framework to support educators in integrating technology? So this is a question that I get all the time, and it's a super fast answer, <laughs> uh, as in where I go for this. It's called the TPAC framework. And out of all the technology integration frameworks and things, this framework is my go-to framework. Um, TPAC stands for Technological Pedagogical Content Knowledge. And picture a Venn diagram with three circles. So if you have the first circle, which is content, so a teacher, an instructor, a professor, they need to have their content knowledge. They need to know, um, I'm gonna give you the K-12 example, a mathematics teacher needs to know what mathematics a student should do at that grade level, what they're gonna come up with, hopefully, um, what they're gonna leave with. They know the content. But then the pedagogy, so that's the other part of the Venn diagram, the other circle, is how to do that. Should students be working in pairs? Should they be working individually? Should they be working um, with manipulatives or how they should do that? And then the technology piece, there, the final circle of three, is understanding how technology can support that. And it's having knowledge of all those three things, even to having the knowledge, enough knowledge of technology to say, yeah, technology is actually not appropriate for this situation. Actually, manipulatives would be so much better without technology. Or, yes, this is how we can really get students to understand by using a technology to provide visualizations, to provide meaning, to provide a dynamic environment that they can test different situations. Um, so it's those three together. And it was actually Shulman developed um, content and the pedagogy. So it was a Venn diagram with just two circles originally. But Misha and Kohler put that third part on of technology to say, you know, we're in a technological epoch. We really need to think about that. So what we want teachers to do, we want them to go to the, the spot in the middle of the Venn diagram where all three come together, where it's technological, pedagogical, and content knowledge working together. Um, one thing as well to say is as well as that Venn diagram, there's a large circle around the edge, and that's context. And it's to remind the instructor that think about your students. And that goes back to the pedagogy and the andragogy, in that you, when you teach, you need to think about the age range. For example, I used to, with students with behavioral difficulties, I was teaching things like the alphabet to high school students. Mm -hmm. How I teach that to high school students would be very different than I teach it to young children. Yeah, okay. So again, it's the, it's the context mm -hmm. you've got to really think, or even their interest. If they're interested in cars, um, putting together cars and things, you know, try and involve that when you can. So, so that's my kind of go-to framework, the TPAC framework for short.
Okay, and so do you think there are specific frameworks for schools and districts looking to integrate technology? Yes, so the TPAC framework is a very broad one. So it's kind of a way to walk in and think, okay, I've got those threes, content, pedagogy, and technology working together. But sometimes a lot of instructors really need, okay, if I walked into a classroom, what would I be seeing for these things to be happening? Mm -hmm. So the ISTE, which is the International Society for Technology and Education, they have a set of standards that are really perfect for this. They have standards for what students should be doing with technology, what teachers should be doing with technology, what tech coaches should be doing, what school leaders and computer science teachers. And so it provides a list, usually about six to seven standards. Um, and it could be like for leaders having a shared vision, but it, or digital citizenship run across many of those strands as well. And what it is, is they have the standards of what they need to be kind of working towards, but then underneath they have indicators, so it, it explains in concrete terms, this is what it looks like, these are the types of things that you would see. Okay. So it's kind of nice that it provides kind of a stepping stone of um, somewhere to go, whether you're a basic novice or whether you're a tech star, um, you can look at the standards and say, okay, this is what I need to work towards. So it's kind of um, self-focus on using technology well. Okay, thank you for explaining that. And why do you feel that educators or school leadership may be hesitant to include technology in their classrooms? And what recommendations do you have for educators or school leadership who are reluctant to integrate technology? Yes, and I, I see this a lot. The big reason is fear. Um, teachers, um, instructors are kind of put in a very different position than historically known in that the instructor was always the person who knew everything. Mm -hmm. Technology actually has students think, or even fact check, mm, my teacher just said this, is that true? <laughs> that, wasn't, that didn't happen in the past, you know, well, not out and out, obviously, but we're actually encouraging students to do that now, you know. Yeah. When you go on the internet, don't take everything for granted. I mean, there was that great example where people took pictures of squids and put them in trees mm -hmm. and said that there was a new type of animal, you know, a squid <laughs> that lived in a tree, and they showed students, and the students were going, yes, it's true. I saw it on the web, there were pictures and everything, and it was kind of, yeah, I know we want the students to be really thinking, but the instructor needs to think of themselves as modeling learning as well, that you don't need to know everything, but you have to kind of show what that looks like. Oh, let's look at this together and let's learn together, mm -hmm. which is one of the greatest things a teacher can do, showing that modeling. But um, it is fear. Um, and we do need to change. I mean, if you went into a hospital and went in for surgery and they had things like sores there, <laughs> um, you'd be worried. But yeah. if the, yeah, and if the surgeon said, well, they've used that for years, you know, why can't we carry on using it? It's kind of, that wouldn't be acceptable. So it shouldn't be acceptable in schools that we use old methods when we know that there's better methods. And veteran teaching, I often, uh, sorry, veteran teachers, mm -hmm. I often get asked that. But the way I think about it, veteran teachers are veteran because they've been there, that they love students, and yeah. they want to do right by the students. So the best way students learn, in many cases, um, is doing things with technology. You know, so we need to learn, okay, which is the best way? Does it use technology or doesn't it? Um, so we have to kind of be open to things like that. And I think veteran teachers, if they frame it that way, mm -hmm would be and my strategy actually for doing this is um, go small and then do that well so don't suddenly think oh okay we'll go into great technology i'm going to use this 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 <laughs> no just perhaps even one thing yeah. learn how to use it learn it well mm -hmm. and use it well and then go on to something else and also be happy that your students may not you know, may know some technologies, and you don't actually have to know. You could just say, okay, students, I'm going to give you choice here. I'm going to personalize learning. You show me how you know knowledge of that subject in however you want to do it. 
and they might have a podcast yes. like this, <laughs> a video, um, an infographic or whatever, and that is great use of technology, and it's great use of your students' brains, getting them thinking. Yes, and providing them some level of autonomy, I think, is so important in learning as well. Very important choice, yeah. So how do you think we can ensure technology is used in a way to improve learning outcomes? So in other words, is technology being used for things we can do without technology? And if so, how should educators and educational leadership address this? So this is another framework, <laughs> one of my second frameworks, which is, um, again, another go-to, another very broad overarching one, but it really provides a good frame of reference. It's called the SAMA model. It's substitution, augmentation, modification, and redefinition. And for those writing it down at home, <laughs> substitution, modification, augmentation, and redefinition. And so SAMA, and basically it's a frame and it explains at each level, are you using technology at the substitution level? In other words, you can find something just as good that didn't use technology. In that case, sometimes, you know, you gotta think about why you're using it, mm -hmm. if it's not adding any value. But then the next one is modification. And we're looking there at, um, okay, it's added some value, mm -hmm. that it's done something a little beyond, um, sorry, that's augmentation, so it's done something a little beyond what we could do without. And then modification and redefinition of the levels we really want you know, instructors mm -hmm. to use technology at. That's using it for things that they couldn't possibly do. Like, um, let me give you an example. So the bottom, SAMA. Now, I've seen a lot of schools districts actually use this. They say, yeah, we, we use technology and we use it really well and um, we have it integrated into everything and we've got the digital worksheets. It's kind of, wow, you've got digital worksheets. You could do just the same on paper and pencil, but you're having them click on a uh, on an mm -hmm. iPad to right. do that. There's no functional improvement. We need to be going a little bit further of how students learn from the learning sciences and then perhaps working towards that way. And the other way, looking right at the top at um, redefinition, it's things like, um, in fact, I have so many examples here, it's kind of which to choose from. <laughs> so for my dissertation, I focused on having students learn about angle. So rather than looking in textbooks at angles like right angles that always go the same way um, and always have lines the same length and things like that, we actually went out into um, the playground, this is K-12, and looked at angles in real life and really got an understanding of that. And they took a, a dynamic protractor on an iPad, so they were able to take a, a photograph. Like if you look up, if you're in a classroom now, you've probably got the squares yeah. <laughs> on the ceiling. <laughs> so if you look up and you could take a photograph of that, then you've got a dynamic protractor that you can place over and measure that angle mm -hmm. and do different things. These are the things that would be very hard to do actually on paper and pencil. Mm -hmm. This is kind of, mm -hmm. you know, you can look at different objects, different buildings. And there's another one about history. Um, where students will take them to kind of Viking ships mm -hmm. and say, okay, this piece of wood here used to be a Viking ship <laughs> and it used to look like this. And it's very hard for students sometimes to have a frame of reference. They might see a picture, but imagine augmented reality going over that piece of wood and suddenly this beautiful Viking ship appeared with people walking along it and doing mm -hmm. what they're doing. And, you know, it really provides something that's a lot more, a lot less abstract and a lot more meaningful. So SAMR model is a great one to follow to look at the quality and level we're using technology. Yes, and those real world are those lifelike experiences I think are so essential for students, especially mm -hmm. like you said, making those abstract concepts more meaningful and more concrete to learners, I think is mm -hmm. really important. And we've seen that technology has become more commonplace in education. Do you think there are certain students or educational environments that are not successful with the use of technology in the classroom? And how might educators overcome these potential challenges? So again, this goes back to the SAMA, that in some situations we shouldn't be using technology. And technology isn't the tool of choice to really have the students learn. So, um, and having them think about 
overcoming the potential challenges, have a look at the SAMA model and think about it. And then even going back to the TPAC, if you remember the Venn diagram with the three there, think, okay, the content knowledge is this. The pedagogy, the real good way to really learn that is this way. Okay, let's have a look at technology. Does it add or does it not? So this is where you plan really carefully the andragogy, the pedagogy, even the hootagogy. Let's think how they learn and, you know, let's do it that way. So the frameworks, again, provide a really good frame of reference for that. So not just having technology for the sake of having it, but make certain it really connects to the lesson and the learning is really important. That's very true. And the educational environments actually, again, think about what you can use it because you might think, oh, field trips, great. We don't need technology. Field trips could be field trips on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> With technology, you can have things like um, imagine a little mini-me, little mini-instructor on the shoulder of every student with um, augmented reality or virtual reality. Augmented reality, let's go for that. So um, when they're on a field trip, they could look through their device and say, oh, okay, I've got a marker over here telling me to walk over here. And then when I come close, oh, it's asking me a question. It's showing me a video that's pertinent, just-in-time mm -hmm. learning for that thing. So the field trip can be really kind of enhanced so much more through the use of technology. So again, you've got to think about the environment and don't just think, oh, no, it's no good. Just have enough knowledge to have a think about how it can be used. Right, that's a great example. And here at the Chicago School, we have also started to integrate augmented reality and virtual reality tools into our online classes. And student feedback on these types of technologies has been positive. And several of them have even started to use augmented reality and virtual reality in their own classrooms. We have a lot of students who are K through 12 educators and work in higher education. And so they begin to use these tools as well. Um, do you have any other examples or any other thoughts of the possibilities of using these types of tools and how they can impact education in other ways? Yes, and in fact, I have a, a large lab with a virtual reality lab where we do a lot of this work and we actually go out into the classrooms. The, the lab has the high-end Oculus Rift, HTC Vive, you know, the, the yes. tethered stuff. Um, but in the classrooms, we use more of the cardboard because it's more accessible mm -hmm. and it's easier for 30 students yeah, <laughs> to be on those. Um, but so that way, there's so many things to study and this really works at the top level of stammer, the mm -hmm. redefinition. I'm doing a study at the moment. In fact, I'm doing three studies um, on virtual reality. What we're looking at is historical empathy, knowledge retention, and interest. And so we're going into a classroom, a history classroom, mm -hmm. where a lot of students um, hear historical stories like World War I in the trenches, and they, it's like watching a film, a video, that they're a movie that they see these things and think oh that's very nice but they don't actually really connect to it they're not thinking wow this person this really happened to this person mm -hmm. these were the feelings and we really feel that we can get that through virtual reality because um, people are realizing now learning isn't just cognitive <laughs> it's also thinking about empathy the apathy mm -hmm. it's the emotional side when we remember when we were younger things, quite often those memories will be connected to feelings. Um, so what we're doing is we're having, in one of the studies, we're having them learn about World War I trench life through, um, there's two classes, there's, um, well there's multiple classes, but with two sections. So one section are going to have a great lesson, but then the typical photographs, uh, well, pictures, mm -hmm. and then text about it. But then the others are actually going to be putting the headsets on and actually being a person there in the trenches. They're going to have someone shouting through what's going to happen. You know, they're going to have to go over the ladder into no man's land and they can see people being very upset around them, which would be been the case. Um, and walking through trenches with um, bodies there sometimes. Obviously, we're very careful mm -hmm. <laughs> at the <laughs> level of um, imagery. Right. Mm -hmm. but, but those feelings, again, we really believe that um, knowledge retention as well. We're going to go back after three months and see what that looks like. But we believe they're going to have a lot more impact on that. And also the interest in learning about history. It's, kind of, it's not just stories. When they really connect, mm -hmm it makes a big difference. The other two studies we're doing is 
Another one looking actually at static images. Um, that's for World War II. But then we're looking at also refugees and looking at refugee camps because a lot of students, refugee is, um, is something that's impacting the whole world for displaced populations. And when we talk about things um, in high school to do with, middle school and high school to do with immigrants and refugees, again, it's, they don't have a full understanding. And so there's a lot of refugee camps that have done 360 videos, so they can actually experience what it like, looked like if they stood in a refugee camp, the, the situation there and the people there. It's really fascinating work that you're involved in. I think and when we provide our learners these meaningful experiences, they're also more likely to retain the information that we're teaching them mm -hmm. as well, which is really important. Absolutely. Another trending topic um, in education is the use of mobile devices and cellular phones in classrooms. And there are both proponents and critics of using mobile devices in educational settings. For example, I've heard some educators share that the use of these devices for educational purposes enhances student learning, while others share that mobile devices in classroom settings distract learners. What are your impressions of mobile devices in the classroom and how can educators balance the potential for learning as well as the challenges that come with mobile devices in their classroom lessons? Mm -hmm. um, so this is a very interesting question and I, I always claim it's due to my Britishness <laughs> that I am very direct, but um, I always say things like, um, we need to look at classroom management tools. These are tools, technology isn't anthropomorphic, it doesn't make decisions. The teacher makes decisions of how these tools are used. And so technology such as mobile devices make good teachers great. If the bad teachers, if, if you go to a lesson, if you go to a training session and you sit in and someone's there lecturing at the front and being completely boring, <laughs> we, we know what we're going to do. We're mm. going to pull out our mobile device and check our emails and do something a little bit more meaningful. Mm -hmm. If students are not engaged, they will find other activities. Mm -hmm. So um, this is very uncomfortable for some instructors that are not necessarily good. This isn't after all. Maybe they have other reasons as well. But if your students are bored, they're going to do other things. There's other ways we can actually engage students. So for example, imagine a classroom without um, mobile technologies. Mm -hmm. You ask a student if um, a question, you ask all the class a question, mm -hmm. you'll get one person putting the hand up. So you now know that what that one person knows. Mm -hmm. If you ask another one straight after, did you know that? Oh, the answer will be yes. <laughs> you don't know what they all know. Mm -hmm. What about a classroom where you say, okay, pull your devices out mm -hmm. and do this activity um, where, okay, so you're answering, I'm gonna give you 15 seconds to answer this question, answer on your mobile device. I can look on my laptop at the front and I can see, oh, so-and-so's engaged, so-and-so's engaged. Oh, so-and-so's not engaged. They don't have an answer. But a parent comes in and says, okay, how are my students doing? I've got a record there of all what they know mm -hmm. and how they answered. Plus there's a time limit, so they're all in a rush. Plus if they're doing this, they can't be checking their emails, Instagram, Snapchat, or anything else because I'm holding them accountable using their devices for learning mm -hmm. and telling me. It also is nice for the fact that we can do some of it anonymous. Right. Well, anonymous to the class, it could be visual to you, but um, those students that never put their hand up in class, that mm -hmm. we don't actually know about, that mm -hmm. are afraid of actually you know, saying things, you get to know them. I worked with a professor, and he had 400 students in a face-to-face -face class. And so he was unsure how they were doing, and he wanted to be sure that students could actually ask questions without the fear. Because, I mean, how many of us would put our hand up and ask <laughs> questions when there were 400 others? Not many, maybe. <laughs> and so mobile devices were actually excellent in the situation, and they didn't provide us what we expected. We expected some real on Bloom's higher Bloom's mm -hmm. taxonomy. We, we imagined some real high-level questions coming through, and we actually found there were low-level questions, and we were thinking, why? And we checked in with some of the students as well, and 
it, it was shocking but obvious that it was anonymous to the rest of the class. And they were asking questions that may appear stupid, that they may think are stupid questions, but they are crucial things in knowing and helping their learning progress. But they would never ask them by putting the hand up. But mobile devices with that anonymity, they could ask questions like, you know, you've just defined that, I really don't understand what that means. Can you please do it again? Yeah. Or can you explain it a different way? Mm -hmm. And so that was phenomenal in that, yeah, all those students have probably missed that before because mm -hmm. they didn't dare ask that technology can help us. It provides them a way to participate in class that they're more comfortable with. I think especially, yes. as you said, in those larger classes, which can be intimidating for students mm -hmm. to raise mm -hmm. their hand in. Absolutely. So are there models specific to the use of mobile devices for learning? So um, again, mobile is my main area of study. Mm -hmm. And there are not actually, except, <laughs> except the one I actually developed in 2017. And if you're familiar with Brom from Brenner's ecological theory, it's based on that. Um, instead of having the learner in the middle, though, it has the educator in the middle. So it's thinking about all the systems that educators need to be able to really um, use technology well in the classroom. And it goes from, so we have um, the nested model of the circles going outwards. We have the educator right in the middle. And the educator, this is one of the most crucial, mm -hmm. they have their beliefs in them of how technology is gonna work or not work. And they are actually, out of all of these, the largest influencer in how they'll use technology or not. But then we have the microsystem on the circle out of that. So that's the school. And so that's things like um, training, tech support, access to technology tools. Is the class face-to-face -face or is it online? Because um, quite often, this is kind of emphasizing this model that there's so many other parts because teachers are often given technologies. It's, I imagine when I was in the classroom for all those years and we'd the bring technologies or things in and just hand it to me and say, oh, great, you can use it now. It's like bringing a violin saying, we've spent a lot of money on this violin. You're going to be able to use it. And not only have we bought you one, we've bought one for all your students. So by the end of the day, you'll be playing fabulous music. It doesn't work that way. We might even have something that you use at home, but using it for learning is a very different thing. So... Um, Providing the tools isn't the only thing. We need to provide the training, the tech support, um, help in understanding again face-to-face -face online what the best tools. So then the next circle out is the MISO system. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. The one outside from that is the EXO system. That's a district. That's things like um, funding for tech support, policies, funding for technologies, textbook, course adoption. And then the final circle outside is the macro system. That's a national. And that's, again, looking at social tech norms, cultural tech norms, standards, internet connectivity. Um, now, coming back to the MISO system, that's got lots of different arrows saying that one of these things in, in one of these circles going out, whether it's the national district or the school, they overlap. Like I mentioned policies for the district. You'll also have school policies, national policies as well that kind of come in as well that you have to remember the dynamic nature of that. So what this is doing in a nutshell is saying, okay, we've got the educator there. They need to be thinking about all these things, the students, what their backgrounds. They need to be thinking as well about all the other systems. And this is actually great for school leaders. Mm -hmm because it helps them recognize, oh, it's not just buying the technology that works. <laughs> it's, oh, there's other things to think about, shared vision, you know, policies, all sorts. Yes, there's so many different areas that impact education. And I'm sure over your academic and professional career that you have observed how the educational landscape has changed substantially as a result of the advancements of technology. What technological technological changes in education do you feel have been most impactful? And what specific technologies do you perceive as the future of education? Okay, so the most impactful 
I believe is technology is going mobile, the mobile device, for the fact that I very strongly believe in contextualizing learning, having students really connected to their own lives, their own world. And mobile, we're able to fit into that world. Mm -hmm. It's very personal if you think about it. If you could do without, or if you could not do without one thing, it'd probably be a mobile device. <laughs> it's, it is something very personal, it goes with you everywhere. And yet, we can learn with this, and we do. We, we learn continually, even, um, you know, okay, you're at a pub somewhere, and oh, who won the Super Bowl? I'm, I'm trying to be very culturally appropriate yeah. there. Um, we'll go to our phones, we'll try and remember, but we'll also go to our phones to help us, you know, learn further. So mobile really is it, I think, because I'm, I'm really keen on field trips, and mm -hmm. let's look at this. Let's not just talk about it, let's look at it, let's examine it. Mobile devices are great for helping there. Like imagine, again, another example, pond life. A student's there and we see a leaf by the pond, a plant, and they're thinking, mm, what's that? And the instructor comes over, yeah, I'm not sure what that is. Mm -hmm. Again, modeling learning, okay, what, what can we do? Let's um, use this app, like iSpot. Mm -hmm. And let's ask an expert, let's upload our picture, and then quickly an expert will come back and say, oh, that's a so-and-so, you know, and they'll tell you all about it. That, to me, is very um, much the way we need to think about learning. We don't have to know everything, but technology can take us further. If you think about the ZPD, the ZPD, Zone of Proximal Development, mm -hmm. um, we can go f so much further as learners ourselves, our students, with mobile technologies, with asking questions, looking what else expertise is out there. So now future of education is artificial intelligence. That is where we are going with the future. And in fact, I'm saying the future, that is often now as well. People often have this fear of artificial intelligence. Oh my goodness, it's gonna take over the world. It's gonna take over teaching jobs. No. No, <laughs> any, um, any human, any teacher that can be replaced by technology should be, in my view. If you're doing that bad a job that technology can take over and do your job for you, yeah, we need to look at a different career. <laughs> but AI is doing so many fascinating things already. Even if you think to like um, going on Google search, mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever remember a time where you type something in and if you spelt something wrong or even just put the basic word, it would just give you a direct definition, a direct mm -hmm. answer to that. Now it's a lot more contextualized that provides further information. Um, but it's just so much better. That's because um, Google now uses RankBrain, mm -hmm. um, which is an AI system in there. So if you spell mistakes wrong or if you put some words together and it thinks, I think they try and do this. Mm -hmm. Imagine like a real, you know, sister, an older someone that knows so much more that can go, oh, let me fix that for you. And do you mean this? So we're using AI all the time now, but for education, it can have huge differences. I'm very excited about AI in the future. It's amazing how advanced technology has become. Do you think these tools could be used in K through 12 or higher education classrooms or both? Absolutely. So let me give you some examples. Um, great question. <laughs> so imagine being in a classroom and you have glasses on and the glasses are telling you, okay, these students out here, they have like a little thing above. This shows when they were last active. So you can tell the students have gone to sleep. It um, can show where students are making mistakes and it tells you, okay, you need to go and help this person over here because they've made multiple mistakes. They keep writing the wrong answers for things, so go and help them. Or on the glasses above this person, it says, yeah, this person has gone to sleep. They've not done anything for the last 10 minutes. You might want to check on those. These are the things AI can do, and that's already happening. Um, Lumino is one example of that. It's mixed reality glasses, mm -hmm. so the students can, so the teacher can see the students and what they're up to. Um, AI can be used online 
very nicely for group formation, moderation, expert facilitation. So, for example, you've got a discussion board. That's a very trending mm -hmm. thing to do in, te in educational technology. So the, the, on the online, they're having discussions. You could have an AI person bot in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and what they're doing is they might ask students questions to promote that discussion because quite often um, students will ask one question or do what they have to do, but then the thinking's not challenged. Right. If we ask people to, yeah, talk about somebody else's post, I can pretty much guarantee they're going to go on and say, great job, so-and-so, I agree. <laughs> you know, something like that that we want... Um, discussion to be richer and AI can do that. It can even pose as a student not fully knowing what they're doing. So they can put misconceptions saying, oh, this is this, that promotes other students to come in and go, no, think of it this way. So again, AI is doing so much more. I've actually, just this semester coming up, um, I get questions ever so often from students. So that's just normal and it can be simple ones such as um, when's the exam at the end of the semester? Um, when's this report due? Um, but to even things like, I've got this topic for my final assignment. Would it be appropriate? Is it a good topic? Mm -hmm. And AI systems such as um, IBM Watson, this is all free, by the way. You can use chatbots, you can use IBM Watson to go through all your syllabus and all your notes. And it can be there 24-7 for students. So, you know, when you have those little... Um, chat screen windows, my students in next semester will be able to type in questions like, is this a good topic for my final assignment? And it will give them literally immediate feedback. And you might think, well, what happens if it's not giving the right answer? It also gives me a copy. And if it can't answer the student very well, it sends me a notification straight away so I can check in with that student and say, okay, let me help you further with that question. But again, saving time mm -hmm. um, to, for me to do more important things with a student. But there's so many things. And in fact, I have to mention the one large one about AI is data-driven decisions. It looks at the larger data or even smaller data and gives us feedback on what, what we're seeing. So if students are really struggling on some standards, um, they're really struggling on some thinking, the AI systems can go in and tell you that so you don't carry on teaching the same thing over and over again in the wrong way. It, it tells you. So big data is a fabulous thing. Most definitely. And I feel very fortunate to be able to use some of the technologies that we've discussed during the show and my own teaching and, and the program that I work with at the Chicago School. But I think one of the most powerful aspects of teaching is observing our students grow academically and knowing that we played a role in helping them to achieve in their educational studies. Can you share any stories of how you have seen a student's life transform through access to technology and education? Yes, I have many here. I will just give you a, a very short answer to that, though. Um, Thinking about that zone of proximal development, I do love the fact that students um, go so far and then technology can help them be where they need to be, go so much further. If they thought they were smart beforehand, look what you can do with this. Um, however, for the most impactful for me, as well as working nationally, I work internationally with the United Nations and, and also governments. I work with the Greek government in Lesbos, one of the Greek islands right next to Turkey, in what I call swimming distance nearly mm -hmm. from Turkey. And they have more refugees than actually islanders um, on there. And they arrive in countries and students are often just um, Children, we're losing so many generations, and not just Syrian, but it's many other countries. And it's very sad, but yet they have mobile devices. Pretty much all of them, they're from countries that had a great deal of wealth. And if you think about what you take with you, it's going to be a mobile device. It's the primary method of communication. So that's going to be the one thing that you treasure. So when these refugees are getting to places, We've um, looked at how mobile learning, how mobile devices can be used 
to continue that learning so they can be um, a feeling of great worth because they can go somewhere and actually fit into a society and be productive, useful members because they've got these skills that they've learned through technology. And it's even simple things, like I spoke to a number of refugees in Lesbos and they spoke English. Mm -hmm. And I said, how did you learn English? And they said, through my mobile device. I looked for things on YouTube and some of the free programs and I learned English and I learned Greek and they have so much time for learning. Mobile devices are great, and so I actually did an educational needs analysis there, and that was a great feeling of or hopefully making a difference and doing something. And with technology, I'm you know, also able to keep in touch with students that I taught over 10 years ago. So you know, you're able to see where they're at in their careers um, now, their professional lives, and mm -hmm. just also mm -hmm. keep that connection with them. And I currently work with doctoral students, and many of them are interested in pursuing a career as a professor in higher education. What advice could you provide students and what tips can you suggest to students to find success in this constantly changing field? Mm -hmm. So the biggest tip ever, make sure you've got your pencils to write this down, <laughs> is do something you love. Things are always changing whatever topic you're studying, technology in particular. But if it's something that you're passionate about, you'll do absolutely fine because you will keep up with it. It's like um, if someone asked many people about Game of Thrones, they could tell you all about everything that's happening. It's because it wasn't a challenge. It was kind of, yeah, let's, well, let's see what's going on. Let's, let's find out about that. It's the same with this. You should be kind of, um, and I can speak from the technology side that it's constantly changing, but it's easy to understand and keep up with various trends because it's kind of, oh, look, we've got artificial intelligence. I didn't know greatly about artificial intelligence until um, what, five years ago, but um, it struck my interest that, yeah, I want to learn more. So you need to be in a position that you love something. Otherwise, you're going to have a very miserable life <laughs> studying something that it's, it's tough. Um, so that is the one thing. And I also would say make connections I work at a university where there's few technology people. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm the only one in my department. And I've made connections globally through technology mm -hmm. often. And I have great discussions and I, have, I, I connect with people just as excited as I am. And that helps keep your motivation. Um, so you are who you run with. And so I focus on technology and the good use of technology. So, so yes. So... Focus on what you love and get connected. That's great advice. Thank you. And if a listener would like to contact you, what is the best way they can reach you? So the best way is probably through Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at H Crompton. So that would be at H-C-R-O-M-P-T-O-N. Um, but otherwise, again, my name's Helen Crompton, and I'm sure you can find me on the web. Thank you so much for joining us, Helen. Um, the information you shared was very insightful, and I'm sure that our listeners will be able to integrate it into their academic studies, their professional settings, and their personal life. So thank you again. Mm, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this edition of EdTech Hour. I'm Dr. Kelly Torres, the Department Chair of the Educational Psychology and Technology Program of the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. This podcast was completed through the support of our dedicated faculty, staff, and students. To learn more about the Educational Psychology Technology Program, or if you're interested in being on the EdTech Hour podcast, please reach out to me at ktorres at the chicagoschool.edu.